Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, a hot plate of an album. And today, we'll be walking the long-promised road back to 1971 to revisit Surf's Up, the 17th studio album by the pride of Hawthorne, California, The Beach Boys. As someone who partly grew up on oldies radio in Los Angeles, shout out K-Earth 101, I certainly heard a lot of the Beach Boys as a kid, but it was always their greatest hits. Think I Get Around or Help Me Rhonda or Wouldn't It Be Nice. However, beyond their undisputed classic from 1966, Pet Sounds, I realized that I had never listened to a single Beach Boys album in its entirety. And I certainly wasn't that familiar with much of anything they released after the mid-1960s with a couple of key exceptions. Shout out to Kokomo. Not surprisingly then, I was wholly unfamiliar with Surf's Up. Originally released in 1971, when the pop world had largely moved on to a new set of faces and sounds. Say this much about Surf's Up. At least in hindsight, this doesn't sound like a safe album by a group trying to claw its way back into pop relevancy. It's not trying to be Pet Sounds, and it's definitely not trying to be another Surf and Safari, despite the title. This is the Beach Boys in a mode I had never heard them before. Trying to be socially topical, with songs about ocean pollution or poverty and student protests, and of course, the importance of good podiatric care. The presence of Brian Wilson still lingers here, especially in some of the signature multi-part harmonies, but other band members saw their influence increase, especially Carl Wilson, as well as newcomer Jack Riley. It is to me a deeply weird album, but only compared to the dominant image we have of the Beach Boys as a kind of avatar for milk toast, Southern California suburban whiteness. They didn't turn into Sly and the Family Stone on this album, but I can at least admire their attempt to be in conversation with those other groups as the Beach Boys try to reinvent themselves and stave off the waning days of their once endless summer. Surf's Up was the album pick of our guest today, Hanif Abdurraqib. On this show, we use the phrase pen game a lot, usually with adjectives like wicked, prolific, and fire in front of it. In keeping with tradition, and because in the case of our guest, it's true times a trillion, let me say formally that Hanif Abdurraqib's pen game is nice, real nice. He's an editor, a cultural critic, and he muses about music. And he's a poet. His way with words sounds like this, quote, your mouth so wide when it opens, I can see myself crawling out starved and thrashing against your tongue, an old suit hanging from my fragile arms. I have tried on all of your clothes and still nothing fits but the blood, end quote. My Lord, his forthcoming book, They Don't Dance No More, about black performance comes out next year. In the meantime, get to know his work, his New York Times best-selling Tribe Called Quest biography called Go Ahead in the Rain, Check out They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us, and The Crown Ain't Worth Much. Robert Graves said, 
To be a poet is a condition, not a profession. If that's true, know that our guest is in excellent condition. Hanif Abdurraqib, welcome to Heat Rocks. Thank you all so much for having me, and thanks for all the, the kind words. This is the first time in over 150 episodes that we've gotten into any kind of conversation about the Beach Boys. And besides how long it took us to get here, the bigger surprise is that we are not having that convo about Pet Sounds or one of the group's better-known LPs, but about what I consider to be a pretty deep cut from their catalog. So, Hanif, why Surf's Up? What makes this a heat rock for you? Well, I think... Um... I mean, Pet Sounds one is is easy for me. I I don't I'm not very invested in canon, be it literary or musical. But I, I do think that Pet Sounds is one of the best albums ever made um, in the history of of music. And I also think that you know, Shut Down Volume Two is another Beach Boys album I really love a lot. But Surfs Up, I think, is though not their best album. Mm. The one that fascinates me most, like um, Tusk, right, for Fleetwood Mac, where, like, I don't think Tusk is the best Fleetwood Mac album, yeah. but it's the one that I'm most fascinated by. Um, or even, like, Finding Forever with Common is is definitely not even in my top three Common albums, but it's the one that I'm like, oh, this one is, I keep returning to it, maybe not because it's great, but mm. because it, I'm just so fascinated by it. Maybe I'm giving Finding Forever too much credit in that, in the book, <laughs> <laughs> albums, it's not that it's not that bad yeah no yeah i mean it's, I, I am very genuinely fascinated by it um yeah but it is very firmly outside of my common grails but yeah. surf's up too you know um i've been thinking about surf's up a lot the past couple months because of the album it, fo- it followed the album sunflower which felt to me like one of the last beach boys attempts at um crafting this sonic aesthetic that felt seasonal and Surf's Up is just kind of like, well, one, it's it's really uneven, but it's also kind of dark. And, um, you know, what's so fascinating is that, for me, the, what happened to the Beach Boys after Pet Sounds was that um, they started this long, slow process. Well, it wasn't that slow in some regard. This process of kind of fracturing and, you know, the band kind of, folding to various whims on various albums at various times, but they still kind of tried to maintain at least some grasp on this idea of an album that at least somewhere feels like summer. Mm. And so I've been thinking about Surf's Up because the album feels seasonless. And I think I am currently not alone in saying that um, where I am at right now, it feels seasonless. And Columbus is, you know, notorious for having very distinct, clear, summers because it's a college town where all the students leave in may yeah Um, and so it empties out but it's also been empty since march and it's felt empty for you know and so i've been thinking about albums that feel seasonless and i I genuinely love surf's up i think the beach boys in all their music you know there's kind of a a real melancholy rumbling underneath the surface even on right even on like the surfing shit that people talk about, you know, the stuff that like, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse. I assume so. Sorry if I'm not. You oh, are. Yeah. No, you're cool. <laughs> Go for I it. I didn't know if this was like only broadcast to children. Um, yeah. You just have to worry about Morgan's mom, but otherwise don't worry about it. Go for it. <laughs> Please keep my mom in mind on here. <laughs> no, but I, yeah. I mean like even with like the, the surf, the, the shit about surfing cars and girls, like I think there's a uh, melancholy, or a longing yeah. because what they're trying to do in those songs, I think 
are trying to conjure up images that are not touchable to them in the moment, or they're trying to conjure up images that are not touchable to you, listener who lives in a landlocked city in the Midwest, or listener who lives along the northeastern coast in the winter. And so that has to, in order to do that, there has to be some kind of level of melancholy that fosters some longing. And on Surf's Up, it's just kind of like the melancholy is the main character now. We're no Mm -hmm. longer trying to to do this thing where we hide the, the sadness or the rage or the confusion or the just like flat out weirdness because I mean it's a flat it's a weird album yeah have all been Before we get too deep into the specifics of the album, I'm wondering if we could just pull the scope back for a quick moment and just talk about going around the horn here about each of our respective discoveries and encounters with the Beach Boys growing up and what the group and their music represented to us. And Hanif, as you kind of mentioned just a moment ago, I'm actually especially curious to hear from your perspective of this as someone who grew up in a landlocked state. I mean, it's different, I think, for perhaps me and Morgan, because we grew up in Los Angeles yeah. um, in, in the backyard of the Beach Boys. But what did the when you first started to listen to the group, what did their music mean to you? Well, like I think a lot of groups that I knew when I was younger, I knew the songs before I knew anything about the group. Right. You know, I, the first songs that I think a lot of people heard from the Beach Boys were like fun, fun, fun and their kind of version of Why Do Fools Fall in Love or like Little Deuce Coop. You know, that stuff. I, I, I genuinely do love Shut Down Volume 2 because it's the album, it's the Beach Boys album that I think that I heard first without even knowing it. Like I remember hearing the back-to-back of Fun, Fun, Fun and Don't Worry Baby, which is just a, a killer one-two, side one-two. Uh, oh, side yeah. one track, one track two. Um, and... For some reason, I think why Pet Sounds is so fascinating to me is because it felt like a hidden gem, even though it's one of the biggest canonical albums in American music history, world music, in the history of the world, perhaps. But I didn't, I like had to seek out Pet Sounds on my own. I'd heard God Only Knows, surely, but didn't know it was a Beach Boys because all I'd heard before that was the surfing girls cars song. Right. And so when I was like maybe 12 or 13, I found pet sounds and became kind of obsessed with it. Uh, Morgan, how about you? What was, how did you encounter the beach boys? Well, real quick, I just wanted to say that you mentioned that Ohio was landlocked and just wanted to call attention to the fact that landlocked was originally supposed to be the title of surfs up uh, before, right. they, before they went with surfed up. So shout out to being landlocked. Um, <laughs> My introduction to the Beach Boys was radio. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I grew up in L.A. I'm from L.A., and this being the West Coast, they stayed in rotation here. And um, I had braces uh, when I was younger and had a lot of, you know, dental orthodontist office, and this was pretty much always bumping. Like, every possible <laughs> Beach Boys jam um, was bumping in the office, which was a trip because both my orthodontist and all the nurses in there were black. You know, they had to keep you calm, so it'd be like that K-Earth 101. I just remember hearing that all the time. K-Earth 101. You know, as I got older, I spent some more time with Don't Worry Baby, which I think is beautiful. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful song. And then on a fluke, I fell into their Christmas album. Um, 
And I think at some point I'm just going to do a whole little, we have to do a show on Christmas albums, period, and, and unusual Christmas albums. But they have a beautiful cover of I'll Be Home for Christmas. I'll be It is pretty, but it's also creepy. And I have this uh, obsession with, uh, that, is, that is my dream, that, that at some point in my career I want to music supervise a horror film. And uh, I wouldn't have thought heretofore, I wouldn't have thought about the Beach Boys until Jordan Peele dropped good vibrations in us in that same scene with NWAF The Police. And at that point, it made me think of the Beach Boys differently, go back to this Christmas album and think, aha. I've got myself a cue. And I hope that there are no music supervisors listening to this right now that just want to get me for this jam. Let me have this one. You know what I mean? Just let me have this one. But um, that's what made me sort of dig into them a little bit more and look at them differently. Not them and mm. their image, which was squeaky clean and white, yeah. but the potential of their songs to be less than that happy stuff that I've gotten used to, if you understand what I'm saying. Right. So hard to plant the seed of reform To set my sights on defeating the storm So I hit hard at the battle that's confronting me yeah. So knock down all the roadblocks stumbling me Throw off all the shackles that are biting me down Now, I like that both of you are bringing up just sort of some of the inherent melancholy that haunts a lot of their, their catalog. And in thinking about sort of my encounter but also evolution relative to the group over time so i was saying earlier i mean like you morgan i grew up listening to them because i listened to a lot of radio in los angeles um and i think my initial impression of beach boys more mostly because it was part of the the same kind of you know surfing anthems that hanif was talking about earlier is my first impression is okay so this is basically party songs for well-tanned white people um and then later my that impression shifted a little bit to be, well, it's still a lot of party songs for tan white people, but it also includes songs like Caroline No, God Only Knows, and Good Vibrations, the latter of which I just think it's just an absolute miracle of a song. And just to going on a brief tangent, when I first introduced this song to my daughter, I think she was probably maybe 12 or 13 at the time. She never heard it before. And after it was done, I asked what she thought. She said it, that it made her head feel cool and what she meant is that the song triggered that hair on the back of your head sensation of, of uh, synesthesia. And despite how many times I've listened to that particular song, it still makes my head feel cool as well. And so I think that you know, my impressions of the group were very much shaped primarily within this very narrow band. And I didn't even realize how narrow this was until I actually went back and looked at their discography, but chronologically and realized that, you know, most of everything I ever knew, knew about the Beach Boys was formed by four years of their recording uh, career. And anything that came after that was largely just kind of by the wayside, um, which is why I really enjoyed digging into this album, which I'd never heard before. And it really gave me a window into 
maybe not like a wildly, wildly different aspect of the Beach Boys, but certainly different enough from my initial impressions. Um, and I thought we could actually come back to that 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 point about the initial impressions of the album. Uh, and Morgan, you want to start us off in terms of when you start listening to Surf's Up, what hit you uh, right off the bat? Well, I got to be honest, too. I, I wasn't uh, familiar with this album at all. And so when I in prep for the chat, uh, I started digging into it. I, it's For me, it started with the cover art. And uh, my first thought was, well, damn, you know what I mean? This is dark. And I was excited by that because I thought, well, something's happened between the last album and this one. And I'm so invested in behind the scenes stories and tea and drama. And so my first questions were about the art. What does the art say um, about what I'm in store for? So then I had to go digging into the art. I found out that it was a, you know, it's James Earl Fraser's Into the Trail sculpture. And I thought, well, okay. So this is a man on, the, on a horse as he gets to the edge of the Pacific Ocean. What are the Beach Boys trying to say about what they are now? So obviously I came into this thinking, well, this is going to be have deeper meaning. I was curious about what this whole thing meant to the Beach Boys. And beyond that, I thought that the Beach Boys have something, some things on their mind. And once I started playing it, I was like, well, damn right. They've got some things on their mind. When I heard that we were doing a Beach Boys album, I was like, oh, damn, you know, we're about to be happy for an hour. But I'm so glad that we, um, that Hanif chose this one because it gave me a different picture of the Beach Boys. And with that, um, more potential for the listening experience for me. Hanif, I know you've already talked about some of your impressions of it, but but I am curious in terms of that, if you remember what that first listen was like, how did Surf's Up first hit you when you uh, first came across it i think the first song um track one side one on this is don't go near the water which for me at the time when i think i first heard this song, i was like in my early 20s and when i thought i was the only person in the world who could see through uh you know very blatant metaphors uh, very heavy-handed metaphors and so I didn't even know that this that the first song was some kind of like environmental anti-pollution anthem. I thought it was, and I, I still think that, of course, there's like a dual meaning here um, about there's some messaging about the Beach Boys trying to detach themselves further, which, I mean, I think a real unfortunate thing about the Beach Boys is, is some of this is, you know, that their name is literally the Beach Boys. Um, but a big portion, I think, of their career is them particularly i think post pet sounds from about post pet sounds to the mid late 70s so much of their career is them trying to intentionally detach themselves from the image that people had of them yeah and then i think they were just like you know 80s and they're like we just gotta we're you know i mean like kokomo time shirts you know? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, um like just lean know. in lean in yeah <laughs> but i but i think that's because i imagine um I mean, it took a toll on all of them, I think, for them to, to – I, I feel like few people talk about the Beach Boys uh, in terms of tragedy. But, you know, Dennis Wilson died very young, and, you know, Carl Wilson died in the 80s, and, 
you know, Brian, of course, had his many documented struggles. Yeah. But I, I, I think about Don't Go Near the Water as such a great track one, side one, because yes, of course, it is this kind of lyrically heavy-handed um, anti-pollution anthem, but it's also kind of haunting, you know? Like, the vocals are really haunting and ominous, and it almost is, it creates this atmosphere of a group trying to walk back, also, like, also trying to walk back um, what people associate them with. And so that feels also really important. Hey, Um, I do want to come back to this idea that this album surfs up in particular. I mean, I, I didn't look at the timeline to see when this comes out relative to Marvin Gaye's what's going on, but just on a thematic level, it feels like it, that there at least, if not, if this was not after that album, it was certainly coming out of this moment in which groups are trying to be very topical. And I'm wondering, I'm hoping we could all talk a little bit about sort of the topicality of the album and, and some of the songs on there. I mean, the first, I mean, the certainly don't go into the water because of its environmental concerns that makes an instant impression, but it wasn't until I got to student demonstration time that I really kind of perked up and, and listened in terms of what they were trying to do. And I got to be honest, my first impression of it was that this song sounds like the spiritual predecessor of Billy Joel's, we didn't start the fire, <laughs> um, and somehow manages to be worse than Joel's song. Uh, and I think part of it is on a sonic level. It's because the Beach Boys they make this decision that they're going to make they're going to set these lyrics using a very kind of classic blues riff. And in particular, I think they're borrowing from this 1954 song "Riot" and "Cell Block Number Nine, which was recorded by groups like the Robins and the Coasters and whatnot. I was serving time for armed robbery. At four o'clock in the morning, I was sleeping in my cell. I heard a whistle blow, then I heard somebody yell. There's a ride going on. And I mean, look, if there's a group that has that feels diametrically opposed to anything about the blues, it's the Beach Fucking Boys. Yeah. Yeah. But and so the, the song just really didn't work for me at all. But on the flip side, I got to a day in the life of a tree and was completely ready to clown it. And I was like, I find this surprisingly charming, even though I think that Riley, who wrote the song, should have just stuck with writing the song because he's not a particularly good singer. But for whatever reason, I'm like, I'm actually charmed by this in a way that where student demonstration time just mostly had me rolling my eyes. But now my branches suffer and my leaves don't bear the glow they did so long ago. My first thought about student demonstration time was, Oh no, y'all. 
that that that's that was my thought. I don't, I don't know y'all. Yeah. Um, yeah. The blues was tough for me, but this is this is Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. So these are the pens that wrote all those hits for Elvis, Jailhouse Rock, and such. So I thought, ah, maybe they're trying to just give them a little bit of soul in here, and I'm not sure that I'm I'm not sure that that worked, but it wasn't terrible. Don't go near the water was the more surprising thing for me, as we've already said. But I love that song. So I suspended whatever I thought about this is anti you know, uh, Beach Boys and thought it's so pretty. And outside of that, it was so haunting that it, it did make water seem sort of scary the way that it sounded. Don't go near the water. Don't you think it's sad? What's happened to the water? There is a creep factor about that, but I also um, didn't think that they were necessarily making a political statement or statement about about water necessarily. I thought this was a statement about them. I thought it was more like not waving but drowning. And actually, this Beach Boy shit is taking us out. Okay, so don't go into don't don't dedicate the first half of your career to surf songs because you'll drown in those. And when you try and step away and be who you really want to be, it'll be a problem. So I thought it was deeper than just them saying stuff about the water being toxic. We all say that about mm. California water. It's pretty, but you get in there and you come out with seven heads. Okay, don't go near the water, period, in California. So I, I just thought, I, but I love L.A. But I just thought it was deeper, deeper than that. I thought they were saying something about their mental and emotional state and the state of their career. We will be back with more of our conversation with Hanif Abdul-Rakib about the Beach Boys Surfs Up after a brief word from some of our sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. Video games. Video games. Video games. You like them? Maybe you wish you had more time for them. Maybe you want to know the best ones to play. Maybe you want to know what happens to Mario when he dies. <laughs> In that case, you should check out Triple Click. It's a podcast about video games. A podcast about video games? But I don't have time for that. Sure you do. Once a week, Kickback as three video game experts give you everything from critical takes on the hottest new releases to scoops, interviews, and explanations about how video games work to fascinating and sometimes weird stories about the games we love. Triple Click is hosted by me, Kirk Hamilton. Me, Jason Shire. And me, Maddie Myers. You can find Triple Click wherever you get your podcasts and listen at MaximumFun.org. Bye! If you're looking for a new comedy podcast, why not try the Beef and Dairy Network? It won Best Comedy at the British Podcast Awards in 2017 and 2018. Also, I There were no horses in this country until the, the mid to late 60s. Specialist bovine arse vet. Both of his eyes are squid's eyes. Yogurt buffet. She was married to a bacon farmer who saved her life. Farm-raised snow leopard. True. Download it today. That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast from MaximumFun.org. Also, maybe start at episode one, or weirdly, episode 36, which for some reason requires no knowledge of the rest of the show. And we're back on Heat Rocks, talking the Beach Boys surfs up with our guest, poet and writer, Hanif Abdurraqib.
Hanif, before we get back to the Beach Boys, and I don't mean to turn you into some kind of Columbus, Ohio native informant, but what I find really interesting about the city is that Ohio is bookended on opposite corners by Cincinnati and Cleveland, both of which boast incredibly rich musical heritages. And I'm not suggesting that Columbus is somehow a musical wasteland by comparison. It's just that its (laughs) music scene and legacies I don't think are nearly as well known as either of these other cities in Ohio. And I'm wondering, as someone who very proudly proclaims, you know, you are from Columbus, you still live in Columbus. How did growing up there shape your musical imagination? And we got 21 pilots here, so. Rascal Flats, too? Okay, yeah, just to, you know. Rascal Flats, right. Beartooth, you know. But no, I mean, so Ohio, yes, Cincinnati and Cleveland both rich, but those aren't even, you know, Dayton is the rich Ohio music city because funk music was born in Dayton. And yes, so, shout out Dayton, yeah. Uh, you know, and for my money, um, gosh, it's wild. I just, I'm, I'm doing a, I just talked to, for an interview, talked to a, a funk musician from Dayton last week. And, mm. and a thing that he said that was, he was talking about um, Junie Morrison and just coming up in that era where everyone, you know, where the Dayton underground funk scene kind of exploded into the world. And he said this thing, he was like, listen, do you know what it's like to be from a place, to be from Dayton and to have a period in the 70s where the best band in the world was from your backyard? And he's talking about the Ohio players. Yeah. So, you know, the best, best band in the world. And I, and I, you know, like, I think I have so much pride in being from Ohio because, and, you know, we could argue about whether or not the Ohio players are the best band in the world. I will say that there was a run of albums in the 70s that I think is just completely, uh, just immense from the Ohio oh, yeah. players. No and, doubt. And, you know, and that's just kind of like one of those groups, you know? And so to grow up in Ohio for me, yes, Columbus does not have the musical history. Although I think there, there are great bands from Columbus that and great musicians from Columbus that I've always felt were on the cusp of uh, breaking out, so to speak, that just, you know, y'all know how these things go. It's, it's bad luck or it's bad timing or it's infighting or it's, one person leaves the group to go solo, you know, and that's the whole thing. But to be from Ohio more broadly and to have the rich music history that we have here is, has always been so thrilling for me. Um, particularly the, the history of, of funk music um, right down in Dayton, which is only about an hour away yeah. and um, preserving that history feels really important because I don't think people realize that Dayton, Ohio is the birthplace of an entire sound in a sound that, that is not singular. So Dayton is not, it's not Motown. It's not Muscle Shoals because all those bands sounded different. All those bands are different kinds of unfuckwithable. You know what I mean? Mm. Like the Ohio players. Yes. But, but every other band that came out of Dayton was also impossible in a different kind of way and so that that makes me really proud but you know columbus has has um you know nancy wilson was here for a bit and um you know harry edison and there there's there's and i don't mean to diss 21 pilots i you know (laughs) shout out truly shout out 21 pilots Um, justice for 21 pilots (laughs) justice for 21 pilots um no, but yeah, it, it's it's one of my one of my biggest 
And like Tash from the Alcoholics is from the, although I don't know if he considers himself in Ohio, but he's yeah. from Columbus. You know, he like lived in Columbus for a lot of his life before, before heading west. And so, um, I am proud to be from a state that that can lay claim to invention and can can lay claim to innovation uh, musically, even if it's yeah. not, you know, even if it's not Columbus. Either Columbus huh? is the city where that innovation sprang from. Uh, shout out to the Ohio players. Um, period. Love the band, but um, none of those album covers were, were able to get into the house, so I could only. I was going to say that's going to be a rough one for the roads for the roads. Uh, you know household right that's there, just so, what it yeah. was but my aunt who i like like i said love the lord but didn't spend any time with him had those <laughs> albums at the house and that's where i was able to get into ecstasy and fire and mm. so shout out to the Ohio players yeah I, those covers were uh and they didn't often have like um alternate covers i feel like you know how like roxy music when country life came out had <laughs> an alternate cover that was like just the grass and not the naked women um, which is the cover I still to this day own of Country Life. Um, but I feel like Ohio players didn't really have like maybe they did, but I never saw. I feel like my people probably weren't the kind of people who would keep the alternate covers. But I feel like they didn't. I feel like all their covers were just straight up like there. I feel know? like the furthest they went is that with their gatefold covers, they put the slightly more salacious parts on yeah. the bottom half. So you would have you know you wouldn't have been able to see it unless you opened it up fully, but. I think to Morgan's point, yeah, knowing, knowing the stories I've heard about your mom's house, like, yeah, that those, those LPs are not making it past the, uh, the threshold there. So yeah. not at all. <laughs> well, bringing this back to the beach boys and surfs up in particular, Hanif, do you have a fire track off of this album? Mm. Oh yeah. Feel flows. Feel flows is definitely the mm. home run of the album in terms of writing, in terms of sonic quality, um, in terms of the kind of, you know, and I, I like, I like Carl Wilson as a vocalist. I think Carl Wilson is um, my favorite of the Beach Boys vocalists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at a time when the band was kind of fracturing further, it felt like Surf's Up was kind of a Carl Wilson album, or at least his album he kind of made his own. I think the, the, the best songs or my favorite songs are the two where he kind of sings solo. So like Long Promise Road and Feel Flows. And... He just really does, yeah, he's just kind of like floating above those songs. And so those, those are my favorite. Feel Flows is such a good side two opener. Morgan, how about you? Actually, my favorite track on here is Looking at Tomorrow, welfare song. Mm. Um, I love the arrangement of it. I love how it's layered. Uh, it's warm, and it sounds a bit lo-fi uh, to me, and it has all those elements that I lo- love in a song, which is which are melancholy and honesty. And I kept going back to that one over and over again. So uh, whether it's the best song on the album, I don't know, but it's the one that makes me feel some type of way. And it's the one that I kept going back to.
I didn't have like a clear case one, but I think upon just kind of trying to sit with the the album as as much as I could before we taped today, I guess the one I landed back on was Disney Girls. And I think partly it's because just so much of my associations with the group are about how they evoke um, this form of imagined nostalgia. And Disney Girls in particular is a song that's all about nostalgia. And I just thought the arrangement and the production of it was really, really pretty. Um, like much of the rest of the album, I do wish it had just more of, as I was saying earlier in the first half, just more of that multi-part um, vocal harmony that uh, I associate with, with with the most iconic Beach Boy songs. But I think what Bruce Johnston does here in particular as lead vocalist, as well as the primary songwriter, I thought he did a just a, a really lovely job. And again, you know, it's not like it wasn't the song that necessarily came screaming off the LP to me, but it's the one that if I had to go back and choose, okay, what am I going to start with on a re-listen? Um, this probably is going to be pretty much at the top. Patty Page and Summer Days on Old Cape Cod. Happy times making wine in my garage. I will say, though, much to my surprise, though, the song, the honorable mention song, which is which is also the the song that produced my favorite moment on the album is actually take a load off your feet and my favorite moment is when the chorus hits it's about 40 seconds in i realize okay wait this is literally a song about foot care and that it's not even done to me it's not really done as a novelty song because it sounds very sincere and it's non-ironic at least that was my perception of it and sure it's probably not going to be a chart topper but I did find it very charming as a piece of songwriting. Yeah. Take good care of your feet. But better watch out what you eat. Better take care of your life is nobody else will. And you got those sonic effects too. So, I mean, there's a lot going on there, but it's just, yeah, they made a, a song about the importance of taking care of your feet. And that's a, it's a, solid sentiment like i cannot disagree with it um whether it needs to be one of only 10 songs in the album i don't know but it, it actually was one of the songs that made the greatest impressions on me especially on first listen so shout out to foot care man for sure That's, i I, I need to take idol. that advice personally there's a real message behind that i feel like they cared about me and as a woman that yeah. loves, pet, loves a good pedicure i just appreciate the sentiment behind it shout out to the beach boys if you Morgan, how about you? You have a favorite, you have a favorite moment? All of Feel Flows, mm. like the whole song, but especially the change up in the middle of the song around the 140 points. I just love the change of the song. I love how psychedelic it feels. It's trippy. And really the vocals sound like they're a bit behind the beat throughout the whole song. And that's the appeal to me. So pretty much the change up, but I love that song. And Eve, how about you? Are there any favorite moments on this album from all your years of listening to it? 
Yeah, I mean, well, we already touched on the on "Don't Go Near the Water," but I love the beginning of "Don't Go Near the Water." I love an album that introduces itself with a kind of haunting instruction, and I also feel like "Don't Go Near the Water" its entry point um, because it it opens with just kind of that refrain: "Don't go near the water; the water's gone bad." That's that's kind of you know before you wade into the understanding of it as as environmentalist. Uh, it's environmentalist politic. That's just a very haunting, almost ancestral messaging. Like it felt like it was passed down from someone, some elder who, mm. who uh, cared a great deal about my safety. Uh, mm. And so I, I, as someone who cannot swim, uh, cannot swim yet. I was, I was, I'm going to try to learn this summer. Well, this summer's almost over. Maybe next summer when it's safe to go outside. If you had to describe surfs up in three words, what three words would you choose? Um, confusing, mm. dislocating, brilliant. Also, also a little humorous in some ways. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Funny we'll, we'll we'll spot you that fourth that fourth word right there. That's all. It's all good. <laughs> Well, before we bounce, we always want to leave our audience with something else to check out following the album of discussion. And so for folks who liked Surf's Up and you want to listen to something next, we have some recommendations for you. Morgan, what would you recommend? Well, I recommend an album that I played a lot of on the air uh, during my time on KCRW. I was turned on to this album by Jason Bentley. Uh, It's by a British beat maker named Bullion, and it's called Pet Sounds in the Key of D. And this is the first song I heard, and I urge you to listen to this one first. Christian? It's a uh, mashup of sorts, a tribute to both the Beach Boys, and the late, great Jay Dilla. So if you like Dilla and you like the Beach Boys, uh, get into Pet Sounds in the Key of D. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to have to check that one out. I was going to recommend, I mentioned them briefly in the first half, but if you liked uh, Surf's Up, go back and check out There's a Riot Going On by Sly and the Family Stone, another 1971 album, certainly in conversation with the Times, also with all kinds of interesting musical and sonic dynamics to it. Uh, the main difference, of course, being that Surf's Up uh, largely sounds like an anomaly of just pop music making, least of all for the Beach Boys, whereas There's a Riot Going On is, I think, quite rightfully considered one of the greatest albums of the 1970s. But nonetheless, I mean, these are these two albums emerge out of the same moment. And the fact that I believe on student demonstration time, they're saying there's a riot going on, and that does not seem to be a coincidence um, in terms of the Beach Boys. I believe they're, they're really answering back or trying to be in dialogue with, uh, with their Northern California counterparts. So certainly another, again, 71 album worth checking out.
Hanif, would you have any recommendations for what people should listen to next? I mean, you already gave them advice in terms of start with the song surfs up and then work backwards in the catalog, but would there be any other uh, recordings outside of perhaps maybe the Beach Boys uh, oeuvre that you would recommend uh, surfs, up, surfs Up fans check out? Yeah, so I would stay in 1971. I'm trying to see if I, I'm trying to think if there's a clear path I can draw between these two. Um, but there's there's kind of like an ache and a longing on this album that I think exists on um, the Bill Withers album, Just As I Am. Mm. And uh, I would I would say that, and I, you know, that's staying in 1971, going to a different geography, going to a different genre, but kind of, I feel like the emotional tone on the two albums is, is kind of in conversation. And also just always a good time to, to say, you know, rest in peace, Bill Withers. Baby, the darkness of the hour makes me seem lonelier than I am. That will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Hanif Abdurraqib. Uh, Hanif, what are you working on right now, especially in lockdown? Um, I mean, the biggest project has been 68 to 05, which is this kind of playlist and music archival project that I dreamed up in February and, and worked on from February until June and launched in July. Mm. The website is 68to05.com. There are playlists, there are magazine covers, there's archival concert footage for every year. Well, the playlists are still forthcoming, but... Uh, there are about 12 on the site right now um, from every year between 1968 and 2005. On top of that, there are essays, beautiful essays written by people who are not me about one album within that window that changed their life. Um, we're doing like, a, I'm doing like a, a Mariah Carey week where I'm going to have six different writers writing on different Mariah Carey albums. Uh, I'm really excited about that. That'll be next month. So that's been a really big project for me, like a passion. It's like entirely a passion project. No one's paying me to do it. I'm losing money to do it because I'm paying people to write stuff. Um, but I wanted to bring back this kind of era of blogging where you kind of hit up a person and you're like, if you're excited about this thing, I'll, I'll pay you a little bit of money to write about it. So 16th of has been a big thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I turned in I turned in my next book. Uh, so it's like done, which feels great. Um, and in the meantime, I'm kind of just bouncing from project and idea to project and idea doing some 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 writing that um is not aiming for for a book for the first time in a long time and that feels great yeah i'm looking at the website for 68 to 05.com right now and this is amazing and i just feel like especially given sort of what we do here we we got to find like some other kind of collaboration because this is this is great uh, especially the, um, the magazine covers, uh, which to me are, you know, they, a lot, you get a lot from just a magazine cover cause it, it really helps pinpoint like where you are in history in terms of style fonts, you know, whatever. And, yeah. uh, this is, this is so cool. Yeah. It Fantastic. took me, I'm not good at making websites. That website took me what felt like, like, like not what felt like literally it took me two months to make. Um, but the joy in making it was, was finding the mag- the magazine covers truly. That was the yeah. best part. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess. 
for the hookup. Beat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.